Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Brusky and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action of Wisconsin. And welcome to another beautiful winter week here in Wisconsin. We have our Executive Director with us, Robert Craig. Robert, good to have you. Happy winter, everyone. Colder weather's coming. Yeah, well, look, if you live just about anywhere in Wisconsin, winter landed upon you overnight. Um, <laughs> Robert and I live in Milwaukee near the lake, so we are still in temperate <laughs> fall. In fact, Robert, I'll tell you, my grass got greener overnight. It is uh, a great irony of uh, lots of rain, <laughs> even in December. Yeah, the, so, the grass, I can look down, the grass is green in Bayview neighborhood right now, too. It is amazing. Uh, Lake Michigan uh, does some wonderful things in the fall, or I guess early winter and uh, spring. But we're not here because of the weather, Robert. We're here to talk politics. It's a big week. Um, number of things we're going to talk about both on the federal uh, level, but also here in the state. Um, we will be joined uh, by Michael Rosen. Uh, he's going our House economist to talk about the Federal Reserve Board increasing rates again yesterday. Again, we record on Thursday. Talk more about that. Talk about uh, that with Michael. Uh, and obviously, a lot of stuff here in the state. Uh, starting to prepare for the state budget. We got elections next spring. But Robert, before we jump into that, I want to talk about some activity at the federal level in Congress this week because. A couple of big things. First, I want to get your comments before we jump into anything. The big news was the marriage bill signing by uh, President Biden. We've talked about this uh, a lot, in particular as it relates to Senator Baldwin and her, um, what I've described as, and others have, uh, progressive bipartisanship um, and the brilliance in passing this. But it was signed this week by President Biden in a very moving an emotional ceremony at the White House. Robert, thoughts? Yeah, I would call it higher realism in the sense that, look, it, it's realistic about the far end of the possible, what you can accomplish right now, uh, given the filibuster, you needed those 10 Republican votes. Um, but in addition, is is visionary, is aimed at at something more important and, and aimed at power because this takes away the power of the Supreme Court, which Clarence Thomas, we know from his uh, his concurring opinion in the abortion ruling, the Hobbes decision, uh, wants to take after. And in fact, a lot of the things Congress uh, that the Supreme Court has done, say around the Voting Rights Act, could be handled if Congress would function properly, which I know we're going to get to later. I'd also say, though, it's a scary time. There's rising hate crimes against LGBTQ people, against other people too, like uh, like the Jewish community. Uh, but we've had, uh, you know, an recently another mass murder, this one in Colorado. There was a infamous one in Florida uh, several years ago. What's scary is Fox News, some of the Republicans, the kind of language they're using. I mean, Tucker Carlson is literally using the fall of Rome analysis. You know, there's a, there was a canard, which is actually not held by historians anymore, that Rome fell because of decadence and immorality. Or yeah, things I, like I'd insurrections it, uh, on the Capitol I was by gonna say, extremists. If it was true, which it isn't, that the decadence sunk Rome, then the decadence is coming from their side, including the reaction to this, uh, uh, to, to this expansion and defense of rights for everyone, including everyone in our society, okay? So anyway, so kudos to Tammy Baldwin and, well, as we say in the movement, Deltas 
uh, to the to the people who the, the people who who tried to uh, to pan it and use it uh, to build to, to build hate for power and profit. Look, it's uh, it was a historic week, uh, and it is not the end on this, but it was it's a huge huge moment. Um, Robert, going to stay focused in D.C. Uh, you you sort of alluded to it, and I. I've been sort of tracking this this week and quite frankly, more than this week, but want to want to talk about what's happening in Congress, both on the House side with Republicans and their effort to try to get a leader and whether McCarthy can essentially try to get conservatives to back him, which that and how does that portend to that group? first of all, even governing within the House, but then let's say they can pass stuff. How does that work with the Senate, which is clearly we're already seeing splits this week between Republicans in the House and the Senate around the spending deal, right? And whether we're going to be adults and sane or whether we're going to use and hold hostage, you know, the economy. So just get your thoughts. We're already starting to see the party of Trump and and basically uh, what happens when you enable Trump and you enable right wing QAnon like thought and they essentially are taking over the party, Robert? And I would say when you you see you can't gerrymander whole states, but when you gerrymander well enough, then you you create lack of accountability and you create uh, folks like the folk like the House Republicans. So. If you like the Assembly Republicans in Wisconsin, uh, where do you meet the House Republicans when they have uh, nominal control? Robert, all we need to know about the gerrymander is that like the most corrupt and least fair body, the Senate, is where we're looking right now <laughs> for fairness, just because it states anyways. Let me just say that there is a there on the on the levels of spectrum. Uh, you have some Democrats, including some I know in the state, who won't lean into the power they have. Uh, the MAGA Republicans use all of their power they have, regardless of the consequences. So it, it, it does lead to horrendous mix. So what we have here is we have the debt limit uh, uh, vote that has to happen, which is a ridiculous charade, uh, even without our House economist here with us, though I will say, Matt, that Kevin Kane, who a lot of listeners know, probably be uh, disappointed we don't consider him our House economist. But anyway, um, the debt ceiling thing was face-saving cover for opponents of World War I, including fighting Bob LaFollette, offered by the Wilson administration. It means nothing because no one would ever vote not to raise it because it's a paying the bill of money already expended. It does nothing. But no Congress has never wanted to get rid of it because it can be made to sound like they wanted unlimited spending, right? And so that's what we got here. It's ridiculous, but they intend, because they use all of their power to use it as leverage to gut Social Security, gut Medicare, gut many other things they, they want to do. And uh, in addition to their crazy investigations. And so we already have House Republicans uh, refusing to go along with Senate Republicans, who are more pragmatic, at least not all of them, but enough of them, uh, you still have also the Ted Cruz, Josh Hawley's, uh, Marsha Blackburn's of the world. She doesn't get enough credit for being one of the crazies, by the way. So that's why I made sure to mention her name, Senator from Tennessee. Uh, and so it's going to have to pass entirely with Democratic votes, which at the end of the day, 
if this two years has proved nothing else, it's proved that the allegedly radical, unworkable progressive wing of the party is actually pragmatic and actually will not crash the country as as hard as it's going to be for for AOC and uh, and 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 other very strong progressive members uh, to have to vote for this thing with all of its you know money for, for the Defense Department, etc. They will do that because they will not crash the economy. The folks Kevin uh, McCarthy is trying to organize will, and when they a majority, this becomes an even bigger threat. Yeah, look, I mean, this is one of these situations where you can see the the structure, the way the House is structured, both in terms of its leadership, uh, but then also these rules and, of course, the, the rules of the Senate um, that really, quite frankly, are going to completely impede any thought that there will be great compromise or that this will lead to effective governing. Uh, it is, however, a huge opportunity. I, I mentioned this before. I, I think this is a uh, there's going to be it's going to be a real challenge on the governing side. We've talked about the judges. The judges are going to matter. Uh, but this is going to be a time of vision and where I think we need to lead with ideas because it's going to set up the whole idea that 2024 is going to be about, you know, essentially trying to wipe out and win a, a, a governing majority. Uh, to 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 essentially expose what we're going to witness the next two years, Robert, which I think is going to be investigations of Hunter Biden and their perceived enemies. And these folks have they perceive people as enemies and uh, they're going to spend and waste a lot of time on that. And they're going to basically be constantly trying to defund, hold up things and cut things that are ba- popular and so I think it's going to put them in a very challenging position, but these positions that they're moving are wildly popular with their base. So they can't back away from them. And Kevin McCarthy and the leadership in the house is going to be right now, as I blah, 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 here into the microphone, deals are being cut. Kevin McCarthy's cutting deals with conservative, with conservatives, with QAnon crowd in order to govern. Marjorie govern. Taylor. Govern. I put that in quotes. There'll be no governing. When I say govern in order for Kevin McCarthy to have leadership and for them to move forward. This is um so this is not a recipe at all for, so for actual governing. It's gonna, you know, the Benghazi stuff, you know, the impeachment of Clinton that doesn't look as bad as this ship, but was pretty bad at the time and 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 helps spread the norms that set this up. Uh they're going to be impeaching. Uh, they want to impeach at least Secretary Mayorkas, uh, home, uh, you know, Homeland Security Department over their uh, bizarre fantasies about immigration. Uh, they, Hunter Biden, which, you know, I think there, there, there's plausible reason to believe that he's engaged in uh, shady business practices and uh, taking advantage of his father's name. But it's no more a proof of a scandal involving the the Congress, of the United States, for the president. It's something that could be investigated by the by the Judicious Department, which it is, I understand. But um, then, you know, what Billy Carter was doing under President Jimmy Carter, or the fact, if you want to talk about a Reagan scandal, that one of Reagan's sons was an atheist, which is not a scandal to us, but is to some of their base. And so there's a lot of they might even go to try to impeach Joe Biden. So and they're going to investigate like enemies of the state, like Anthony Fauci. They're going to be chasing after bizarre theories of where COVID-19 came from. Uh, just, uh, every, go oh, and they're going to investigate. 
They're going to investigate the abuse of the January 6th insurrectionists. Yeah, it's Robert. Uh, this is not stuff that's going to be popular. So again, it creates an opportunity. What's important is that we need to be the ideas people. We need to be pushing our agenda over the next 18 months and laying out you know, a vision that stands in opposition, this just shit show that's going to be going on, not only in Congress, but also here in the state. We'll talk more about that. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We're really happy to have uh, Dr. Michael Rosen with us. We have had him on before, and he is here to talk about the economy with us. And I think most of y'all know the Federal Reserve Board raised interest rates yesterday. And so we asked Dr. Rosen to come on and talk with us about that. Michael, thank you for joining us. Glad to be here. Uh, well, we're thrilled to have you again. Um, and so yesterday, Federal Reserve Board unanimously, I'm going to state that because I'd like some comments on that, uh, raised rates and continues this push uh, to try to rein in the economy and quite frankly, uh, you know, go after job growth uh, would be my take. But Michael, your thoughts on the Fed's move? Yeah. So I'm I'm concerned that Powell's response, and it was unanimous, which is very disconcerting, yes. uh, to easing inflation was both astonishingly ignorant and worse, dangerous. What it did not recognize is that over the last five months, the inflation rate has been at a 2.5% annual rate. And just to be clear about that, 2.5% is not the increase in prices over five months, but it's the projection that increased prices would be increased for the whole year um, if they continue at this pace. By contrast, the annualized inflation rate for the five months prior to that was 11.8%. So what we see is that inflation is coming down exceedingly rapidly. Uh, and yet the Fed is continuing its very aggressive, what I would call draconian approach. The impact, and Powell recognized this, as he said, he expects unemployment to rise to 4.6% next year. So the Fed has consciously said that it is more important to keep the brakes on the economy. And it has actually said that the economy will grow anemically next year and throw people out of work than it is to take its foot off that uh, uh, brake uh, and allow the economy to grow. And let's just be very clear, when during this period of even when abnormally high inflation, low wage workers have done exceedingly well, inequality has come down. And those are the very workers who will be hurt by uh, a slowdown in the economy. And what I would suggest if the Fed continues on its current path, uh, it will cause a recession. Virtually every recession in the post-World War II period has been caused by the Federal Reserve raising interest rates too aggressively. Look, Michael, I was listening to an NPR show today, uh, just, no, it was two days ago. And so this person asserted somehow 
that is this very workers at the lower end of the economy who've been benefiting from this, who are hurting most by inflation. I was just thinking to myself, that's, that's exactly the opposite. This is, Michael, and I just, I feel like this is done largely on behalf of capital and capital has been taking excessive profiteering. And in fact, that's where I think a lot of the inflation is coming from, in addition to the stuff, Michael, you have talked about, things that are beyond our control, the war, supply chain issues that we're still trying to work through, things like that. And and obviously COVID, let's not forget. I mean, China's, <laughs> COVID's ripping through China right now. Anyways, Michael, uh, just, and then also you mentioned, this was unanimous. Where are the democratic voices of opposition? And why is this like a steamroll to essentially deal with inflation on the back of workers? Yeah, well, yesterday um, I did hear Elizabeth Warren give an interview on uh, uh, MSNBC where she was very clear about this. Uh, and I thought that that was good, but you're right. In large part, Democratic politicians are quiet. Uh, President Biden has been exceedingly quiet. Let's go back, though, and talk about what's causing inflation. Because as I said, not only is this a dangerous policy because it's going to hurt workers, but it's it's ignorant because it's not based on recognition of what are the causes of the inflation or what caused the inflation. Um, Essentially, what the Fed is doing is acting as if we're experiencing a wage price spiral. That is that wages are driving up prices, are, are causing business to raise prices, and then getting additional wage increases that are driving up prices. There's no evidence for that. That hasn't happened in this country since the 1970s, when we had strong unions and unions negotiated cost, cost of living agreements. Those don't exist anymore. And in large part, the kind of industry-wide unionization uh, in the auto industry, the steel industry, et cetera, no longer exists. So what were the causes of inflation? Well, number one is the war in Iraq. It caused food prices to escalate because it's a major source of grain. Uh, and it also affected oh. Ukraine, Michael. You said war in Iraq. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> yes, the okay. war in Ukraine. It's yes, okay. the war in Ukraine. And uh, it caused not only food prices to increase, but also gasoline prices. And, and note how rapidly gasoline prices have come down. Also, inflation was dr driven by other supply side dis uh, disruptions, Matt, as you just suggested, uh, particularly the impact of COVID in China, which had become the source of most manufactured goods and electronics in the world. Michael, uh, that might get then, worse, by the way. That might get worse over the next few months. It's ripping through China right now, COVID, now that they've laxed their policy. Yeah, it's very likely to. And let's not forget price gouging. You, the failure of the United States federal government, and particularly the Justice Department, to pursue antitrust legislation uh, over the past several decades uh, has allowed a huge concentration in industry after industry, from the airlines to meatpacking. I could go on, and what that does is it allows those companies to act, those handful of companies that dominated each industry, to act as shared monopolies, what we call ol oligopolies, and they engage in price gouging. They raise prices because they can, because they yeah. can raise their rate of profit not because they're being forced to. Now, 
who has who has benefited during this period of time and who's going to get hurt. Let's just think there'll be 10 million jobs created uh, uh, during this period, this recovery from the COVID recession. Wages for the lowest paid workers rose faster than inflation over that period. That's workers important, the- Michael. That is really important and often never discussed in this debate. And I know it. I've seen it through my kid who fits into this category. Workers in the hotel and industry section, not production and non-supervisory, have seen their wages rise by 3.8% more than inflation since the pandemic began. Okay. More importantly, over the past five years, wages for all production and non-supervisory workers have risen at 4%, 4 4.1% on an annualized rate. Yet, Powell wants to increase unemployment. Increasing unemployment means it will make the labor market more slack. It will make it harder for workers, whether they're unionized or not unionized, to leverage wage increases. We should be a country that wants to reward people for the work they do in a hotel, in a restaurant, uh, or in a factory. Uh, or driving truck, or in a warehouse. We should not be a country that wants to weaken the labor market so that we have a low-wage economy. And that's where, at best, that's where Powell's taking us. At worst, he's going to cause lots of folks who've just gotten back into the labor market and started to see their incomes increase. He's going to throw them back out onto the street. Uh, Absolutely, Michael. We have been banging this gong now a few months. We are going to continue. It is absolutely critical that as progressives, we start organizing around this. This was a unanimous vote. Robert, I want to get to you. You, you, I know you have a question for Michael. So I agree with the the frame and the bulk of your analysis, uh, Dr. Rosen. Though I will say the possible supply chain and, uh, uh, you know, further disruptions, that is, that would be a suggestion there's inflationary risk beyond current inflation. So there's, there's some nuances. The problem is that, you see, we focus on an unelected Fed chair, um, who the public has no ability to affect or influence directly, um, which is because our elected officials have abdicated their responsibility to run the economy and made some huge long-term structural decisions that, that are very detrimental. The biggest I could point to is we had a policy which has developed after a lot of organizing in the 19th and early 20th century around monopolies that were at a, at a very good system that was institutionalized during the New Deal and into the 70s when AT&T was broken up and led by Milton Friedman and by right-wing judges, frankly, who simply misreinterpreted the laws that existed, we legalized monopolies. And the Milton Friedman dictum was that we should worry about the the price for consumers and that that the size of something is not the problem. So now we have a monopoly-laden economy where they can price gouge the way they are. And that's why uh, over, according to the analysis, 50% of the inflation is straight price gouging and taking advantage of it. Um, and, you know, they're differing numbers, but they're all in that range or higher. Uh, and then Congress is not it, it does not intervene. And and, and quite frankly, um, the, the public does not have uh, much economic literacy. The Democratic Party has not really had a consistent economic message that explains it to average people. 
Inflation is a huge political issue. So what happens is most Democrats duck and just allow the Fed to do what it's going to do. And the Fed is structurally set to defend capital, right? By the way, we can point out that finance capitalists invest heavily in the Democrat Party, even more than the Republican Party. So they are complicit in this. I know we have to go to a break, Michael, but I wonder what we should focus, focusing what you did, the public on that the last hired, first fired problem, that the folks who were just getting a piece of the pie are going to lose out. And we always justify our economic policies to help them. And then they are help the least, help the latest, and then harmed immediately and harmed more. Uh, and then um, about what the public should do, because we're not going to get rid of the Federal Reserve Board or um, anytime soon. So, uh, Michael, you'll get the chance to answer that right after this break. You're listening to The Battleground, Wisconsin. Welcome back to The Battleground, Wisconsin. Michael, you get a shot to answer Robert's question. I, would, I will I, not try to repeat it. I think that the public needs to put as much pressure on its elected officials, in particular, uh, its federal elected officials in Wisconsin. Look, there's no hope uh, with many of the, because the state's so gerrymandered and we have uh, people like Ron Johnson as the United States Senator, but we need Tammy Baldwin and Glenn Moore to take a lead on this thing. They need to, they need to be vocal about this. Uh, and the other thing I would say is that there are some opportunities uh, emerging locally, uh, I can talk mainly about Milwaukee, and I realize that this is a statewide show, uh, but we have an example uh, with MASH, with the Milwaukee Area Service uh, and uh, Hospitality Organization, with what they did at the Fiserv Arena, uh, where they uh, got card check um, by leveraging public officials to not give public money unless they agreed on card check and $15 uh, an hour floor. And therefore those workers are unionized. They're largely workers of color and their wages have been going up ever since the Pfizer reform was built because they have a union to negotiate. In Milwaukee, we have another opportunity like that with this iron district where they want to build a soccer stadium and a hotel, uh, 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 some housing, et cetera. And uh, I think in, at least in the Milwaukee area, people should be putting uh, pressure on our local officials because having a union and negotiated wage and salary benefits uh, and benefits is one hedge against uh, this kind of uh, inflationary, uh, this kind of uh, draconian policies from the Fed. Now, will that stop layoffs? No, it won't. If the Fed really pursues this aggressive policy, uh, and, and that's where the elected officials come in, they need to, at the federal level, they need to bang the door about that this, this policy is wrong. And they need to, as Robert uh, suggested, or at least implied, they need to begin to demand that the Justice Department prosecute the monopoly pricing in, and price gouging in highly concentrated industries, pharmaceuticals, meatpacking, uh, uh, airlines, to just name right. a few. Uh, and everybody knows what these industries are. It's not, it's, not a, it's not a secret. So 
I think that's 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 what we can do as citizens, as grassroots activists. Look, I want to follow up on a couple of those because I think there was a lot of agency just talked about. We absolutely should be putting pressure on our federal elected officials, especially our Democrats, that we need. And we have appointments. Biden has made appointments to the board. We there should be an expectation that they're not they're not judges or they should respond to the public pressure too. obviously their economic analysis matters. It's not just straight political decisions, but the reality is their solutions are going to hurt the least who can who who can take it on, especially. I mean, look, Michael, you, you mentioned it, and it's it's not like it's coming just from Michael Rosen. Bloomberg has even stated, right, that price gouging is the dominant thing that's going on here. And so there we have effective solutions, both in terms of what should be happening federally. But, Michael, you mentioned what's going on here in Milwaukee and said that's maybe only applies to Milwaukee. It doesn't. Maybe a lot of our communities and for our listeners, your cities spend a lot of development money. TIF, there's a lot of money that flows through economic development money through cities that is completely unleveraged when there's a half a million here, a million there, two million there of economic development. That is when our local elected should be leveraging the way MASH is, our political power to get things that help workers that help balance the economy. They're actually both really important solutions that we can be doing right now. Michael. Yeah. yeah. On the latter, I didn't mean to imply that it could only happen in Milwaukee. What I meant to suggest is I know where it's worked. It's worked in Milwaukee. It certainly is something that could work in other parts of the state. And Michael, uh, and I, I think, think we should talk more model. about that. I, I think model. actually it's something we should spread. And it's something certainly here at Citizen Action. We have the capacity to probably do that in collaboration and be thinking smarter as a movement. How are we tying down economic development dollars throughout the state, not just in and, our big and cities? In places like we're seeing uh, and other cities that have progressive mayors and progressive people on their county boards or or uh, 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 common councils. Uh, it's Green Bay is another example. Yep. Uh, it's a it's a it's an excellent model uh, in terms of the other point you made. What's really uh, disturbing about the Fed's unanimity is that, you know, uh, Brainerd, uh, bought the Boston Fed president, Susan Collins, Kansas City Fed uh, president, Esther George, they all had expressed concern about the need to temper the Fed's aggressiveness. And yet yesterday, they all fell in line. So there needs to be pressure on these people and the Power only capital. way to put pressure on the people is to put pressure on our elected representatives to use the bully pulpit. I would make one other suggestion, and I, I, I'm just thought about this while after you asked me to come on, is people should write letters to the editor. People should write op eds to their local newspapers if they still have local newspapers. Uh, but uh, and I think I'm going to do that based on just based on uh, you're asking me to 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 come today. Michael, I am I am super convinced this is an issue that we can start to blow up the party of Trump around in capital because the same folks who have left our part have left the Democratic Party because they don't feel it responds, quite frankly, in situations like this. 
This is an opportunity to demonstrate and start to work on an issue and talk about something and start that. Actually, I think there's a lot of people who right now um, would be persuaded by this independence, others, because this is what's really hurting people, right? This is why rural communities became open to Trump in the first place. And, and we have real economic of, yeah. hurt and dislocation going on. And there's a lot of polling and other evidence, just anecdotal evidence, that when people talk about raising taxes on the wealthy, when people talk about draining the swamp, when they talk about corruption, uh, you know, they people are very sympathetic to a argument uh, that they know that corporations are exploiting or to put it in a more general term, taking advantage of people. They're taking advantage of this opportunity. They always do that. This is nothing new. Uh, I remember following the, should be the Reagan all over recession this, of the double dip recession of 81, 82, 83, that uh, we had the same phenomena uh, and corporations were uh, taking advantage of that fact. Uh, and it was well documented. Uh, and so uh, it's it's very clear uh, the message. I think the Democrats are doing themselves a disservice just as they did, by the way, with the railroad, potential railroad strike, when they threw the railroad workers under the bus. Uh, and uh, because when all they were asking for was four days of paid sick leave, they are hurting themselves with working class people and not just white working class people, but working class people. And in this case, if it leads to a recession that disproportionately lays off black and brown workers, uh, who will get blamed? It won't be Powell because those workers don't know who the Fed is. Nope. Who will get blamed is the chief executive of the United States, that is President Biden and his party. Robert? I think that's all true. I think the last time that happened was the Great Recession. And let's face it, the first black president allowed a massive reduction in wealth of people of color and massive loss of home ownership based on straight out theft and bailed out the banks, right? So we, we, we've run that play. We've run that play many times in our history, as you well know, uh, as an academic economist. Um, it seems to me, just because what I do profession is cut issues, that we have to be careful not just to focus some people on something they can't change in the near term, like the Fed. And I do, I think the monopoly issue, I agree with Zephyr Teachout, she has a recent book on this, needs to be a focus of social movements. There's been incremental progress. Biden appointed the, the first anti-monopoly FTC chair since the 70s, but the process all takes forever. It's not in real time. So it seems like there needs to be dramatic legislative action, other action where even if it doesn't immediately affect inflation, though it could because it scares, you know, these folks can pull back on their price gouging because they're worried about regulation. That's happening a lot of times in American history. Um, that that it leads to the public, it signals who the enemies are, which is corporate America. We know that finance capital is also the enemy of as far as creating Fed policy, but to, to make it simple, because they already think that. And, to, and, you know, the pharmaceutical monopolies, the hospital monopolies, a lot of these are locally available monopolies. Uh, and so I, I, I just, I think in, in some ways we need to campaign more in monopolies, the social movement. That's what Zephyr Teachout's whole book, Break Them Up, focuses on, which my brother Ted, who's a listener, recommend my read, and I'm glad he did. Well, Michael, 
uh, want to give you the last comment before we uh, let you go uh, on this important issue. Thanks. Let me suggest that people be very concerned about this and not just be concerned, but that they figure out what actions they can take, whether it's calling uh, their congressperson, uh, whether it is uh, leveraging local uh, local dollars to ensure that workers have more rights on the job, including union rights. Uh, but we need to be active around these federal governmental policies because they will have a direct impact on all of our lives and on the lives of our neighbors and fellow workers in our community. Absolutely. Thank you, Dr. Rosen, for coming on and talking with us, especially on this important day. Uh, and we are going to continue to have you on and uh, continue to organize and think about how we can do better uh, as a movement on this. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here and I'm going to grab a copy of that book. I had not heard about it and uh, I'll take uh, Robert's suggestion and take a look at that. All right, folks, with that, we got to take a break. You're listening to the Battle Now Wisconsin. Welcome back to the Battleground, Wisconsin. We mistakenly told you Mike Rosen was going to leave us. We are now having a different, this is Coach Rosen uh, is joining us. It's good to have you, Coach Rosen. Uh, you are an avid, avid soccer, you're, you're a soccer maniac. You've probably watched every World Cup game. Coach Rosen, who's going to win the World Cup on Sunday? I originally predicted France. <laughs> and um, I, despite the fact that they are missing three of the best players in the world due to injury uh, because they amazing. still have Mbappe, uh, Griezmann, and other exceedingly talented people. They're not as strong in the midfield because they're missing two of the top players. I'm, but I, I mean, as you've seen in these games, the gift of being able to score, and you've seen that with both Mbappe and with Messi, yeah. So my head says France. It said it at the beginning. That's who I picked in my pool. My heart says a little bit messy in Argentina because uh, I Messi has been such a fabulous player for more than a decade, uh, for really two decades. Uh, and this is his swan, swan song. This is yeah. his last. He's 35 years old. Uh, it's very unlikely that he will be uh, the player he is today. It's a young yeah. man's game. Uh, and so in a sense, my heart is with Messi, even though I love the French team. And I will say one thing I, I, I'm torn. I guess you can say I predict France. And if they win, I can't wait to see this multicultural team <clears throat> led by the children of African immigrants march down the streets yes. of Paris and give the finger to Le Pen and all the right-wing French ultra-nationalists uh, who have only a year ago tried to say this was not a French team and tried to change rules in France, limiting the number of black players and, and uh, immigrant players on the team. So uh, I go with France. Although, as I, you can tell from my comments, very torn. Yeah. Look, Matt Messi was brilliant in the semi. It was just brilliant play. And 
I'll just say as someone who used to play soccer when I was younger, don't really follow it much anymore. The thing that impresses me the most when I watch these games is remind me is how, how in great shape you have to be to play soccer that you can go. I mean, and, and why soccer players make great runners. <laughs> uh, but the other thing just being the camaraderie between the players at this level yeah. is powerful to watch, to watch them after the matches watching um, the Czech team console. The, the Brazilians was everything that's great about sports uh, those guys, especially um, the the number ten, uh, uh, Luca, he you could just see he deeply understood what it meant for that team in that country to have to lose that game to Croatia and what that meant to those guys, especially that young player who, for every reason, they made him take the first penalty shot. Yeah. I, I just appreciate that, and it's powerful because these guys are at the very, very, very top level, and they have a deep understanding of what it means to be there. Um, so it's fun to watch. And one other one other thing about the World Cup, this World Cup in particular, yeah. we have seen an amazing generation of players, not just uh, Messi, but Ronaldo, who's all, clearly already in decline, but Modric for Modric, Croatia yeah. and Croatia lost and people aren't going to, and, and Modric has this is his last World Cup. He's 37 years old. Uh, this is a man who was a craftsman who was a fantastic uh, soccer player, football player, uh, and who was a joy to watch the way he orchestrated the game from the midfield. Uh, this whole generation of, some people have called it the greatest generation of players is passing from the field. Now there's a new generation, uh, Alvarez, uh, um, Alvarez, Mbappe, et cetera, that are, uh, and what's his face from Brazil? Um, Neymar are they're still they're still emerging. I mean, Bappi's only 23, and this is already his second World Cup final that he'll be playing in. But before we move on, we should at least take pause to thank that for those of us that are soccer fans to thank that greatest generation, which is now going to be passing from the scene, and this will be for many of them for most of them, their last World Cup. Yeah. And all I can say to them as a fan is thank you for the for the gifts that you've shared with us. Yeah. Well, thank I, I you, got, Michael. I got one other yeah. thing we shouldn't forget. We shouldn't forget about the historic run of Morocco, the first yeah. African and uh, Arab country to the semifinal. And it was, you know, understandable against France, but disappointing that they fell short. I was at an infamous uh, election debrief meeting called Walls Down yesterday, and our good friend from the Movement Voting Pro Voters Project, Rima Ahmad, was tracking the game. <laughs> so during it, so I would go back and ask what the score was and what was going on when I was trying to pay attention to all the blizzard numbers in that debrief. So they made a great run, though. Yeah. It was a great run. The, the team itself uh, played fantastic yesterday. I mean, it was fantastic. Uh, playing uh, and remember three of their top defenders and he only had played four uh, one was out at the beginning of the game one went out very early one went out at halftime and yet they never I, I mean the thing that was beautiful was they played aggressive fast attacking soccer they didn't just lay back 
They weren't fearful of France. Of course, many of them play in France. The coach grew up in France, uh, but they played, they played, it was a great game. Yeah. It was an yeah. up and down game. Uh, it was beautiful. It was what why we call it the beautiful game. And the whole world, I think, but particularly the Arab world and the African world were watching that game. And uh, as the coach said, what the Moroccan team did was it proved what was possible. That's what he said. And I think that that's, that's, that was the significance of making it all the way to the semifinals. And I think in the future, you know, the cup is going to be expanded to 64 games next year. Uh, and it's going to be played in, <laughs> in USA, uh, US, Canada, and Mexico. Uh, and uh, the Midwest kind of got uh, screwed in that because we're not, uh, Chicago didn't get anything. Shocking Soldier uh, Field isn't considered a top flight facility. <laughs> right. So I guess Nashville is the closest, although. I think I think it'd be pretty fun to go to a game in Mexico City or Toronto. Uh, yeah. So well, uh, and and having gone to the World Cup the last time it was in the U.S. Incidentally, I was invited to go to Qatar by a friend of mine uh, who rented a house there. Uh, but I mean, we should say that, you know, there have been I mean, there were horrific yeah. labor abuses and the World Cup should never have been played in Qatar. Yeah, uh, it was. It, uh, and uh, on for those reasons, I said I, I wasn't interested in going. But as a soccer fan, I couldn't keep my eyes off the games, despite my objections. Uh, for, to, fortunately, uh, Michael, fortunately, Michael, well, unfortunately, we have to wrap up the show. Fortunately, Qatar was rightly that they they did not get out unscathed and fifa more importantly didn't and hopefully it will never happen like russia and qatar happened again on their process but that's for another show michael thank you so much for coming on uh and talking not only about the economy but uh the world's greatest tournament enjoy the game yes sunday morning and then call your reps on monday, monday morning yes absolutely with that, folks, we have to wrap up this Battleground Wisconsin. We thank Dr. Michael Rosen, Coach Rosen, also for coming in and talking soccer and the economy. We'll see you all next week here at the Battleground Wisconsin.